Welcome to Co-op Energy Talk. I'm Rachel Johnson, the Member Relations Manager here at Cherryland Electric Cooperative. Joining me today, as usual, our General Manager, Tony Anderson. Good morning, Tony. Good morning. I'm really excited for today's podcast because we have a very special guest. We recently welcomed a new director to our board. Gabe Schneider was appointed to fill a vacancy on our board in June, and he's here with us to tell us a little more about himself and what he hopes to contribute to the Cherryland Board. Welcome, Gabe. Well, thank you, Rachel. Really appreciate being here this morning. It's great to be honored to be on a podcast. I don't think I've ever been on a podcast before. So we get that a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it's very special privilege. So, Tony, before we get started, can you just tell our listeners about the process our board goes through when filling a vacancy, and, and this vacancy in particular? Sure. Uh, this vacancy in particular was a longtime board member member Betty Lean been on the board about 25 years um, moved and our bylaws are pretty strict if, you, if you're not a Cherryland member if you move off our system your board term ends immediately the, the day you leave our system so she notified the board in advance and uh, the board made arrangements we advertised publicly f- for the vacancy which is our bylaws allow the board to appoint uh, a vacancy so they they did the advertising took applications we received 12 applications they made a cut down to four people and then they had a special board meeting where they interviewed the four candidates and after that meeting they made a selection and uh, Gabe was obviously the person they selected on that day that's awesome so, so pretty open E quick, easy process over, it probably took a month or so. And it's interesting because we haven't really had a lot of vacancies for a long time, and then we've, ha- we've had to go through this process twice already this year, and, and Gabe, you had applied both times. Can you uh, maybe just briefly tell our listeners why, why were you interested in serving on Cherryland's sure. board? Sure. Uh, well, at my, at my house, I've been a Cherryland customer for, geez, it's probably been close to 10 years, and always been interested in what's going on with the cooperative, paid a lot of attention to uh, policy issues and things like that, and really thought this would be a great way to give back to my community in a way, and, and saw the Cherryland uh, membership as my community, my energy community, and uh, thought that this would be a good way to serve and, and sort of dig a little bit deeper into the thing we all take for granted. We all flip the switch and expect something to happen. So uh, always had an interest in energy policy and, uh, again, just thought this would be a good way to dig a little deeper and uh, get involved. I love the fact that you're coming into it saying I'm interested in learning more because a lot we've had a lot of um, people who only are interested in coming to our board for maybe a specific agenda or something like that. But I think the best board members are those that come in and say, like, this is a really complex industry, a complex community, a complex, like the science of electricity is complex. And so just coming in and saying I'm interested in and learning about it, I think, is really valuable. Yeah, that was really something I wanted to stress to the existing board as well, that I wasn't coming in with any specific agenda. I didn't have, you know, a one issue that I was coming to, to change the world on. But again, I really wanted to dig in a little deeper and learn more about how policy affects uh, what what we strive to provide, uh, reliable and, and cost-effective energy to our members, and uh, really dig in uh, to those issues and figure out ways to, to do things better even. And then also, uh, in some regard, regards to capitalize on, I think, all the work, the good work that Cherryland has done uh, over the years, uh, maybe make it a little bit more public and help people understand what the cooperative is all about. Yeah, more public is always good. Yep. 
We've, I, we've got a lot of good news to share. So We do, and I think oftentimes in this community, uh, people don't always look to Cherryland uh, for that good news, or they don't even know what questions to ask necessarily. So uh, in my role, I see myself representing both Grand Traverse and Kalkaska counties and helping to, again, sort of uh, diversify the information that, that gets out there in, in a different way. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, too, because I think that's another place where a board position is both you, you represent the, your, our members to the cooperative in the direction we go, but you also represent our cooperative back to the public, and, and having that kind of ambassadorship in the community is important. Yeah, absolutely, and I think, uh, again, there's been a lot of good things over the years that the cooperative has done. Uh, I think our members uh, see it uh, in their rates that they pay, and I also think that uh, specifically some members see it perhaps in some of the programs they participate in, some of the revolving loan fund programs and things like that, but uh, to some people that are maybe are not Cherryland uh, members, I think they might not see those things, and so again, just trying to change the way the conversations had with folks in the community. What was one of the first things you saw as good been a member for 10 years. When did Cherryland get on your radar in that 10-year period, yeah, and why? I think this probably uh, goes for a lot of members, but the county lines, uh, country lines, uh, great publication that I just would read every month and, and, again, sort of get a little insight, but sort of starting to peel back the onion a little bit, but not really get too too deep. Um, you know, I, I've, I think throughout other media sources and things like that paid attention to what the cooperative has done. Um, some of the specific things, uh, you know, I drive, drive past the, the headquarters here fairly often, so the solar array catches your eye and wonder what's going on out there. I remember that being built, my kids playing in the empty field with the, the sign sticking there saying it was coming soon, and then for them to play, they're eating ice cream actually from Little Reds <laughs> next door, but uh, running around uh, near the solar arrays there. So um, things like that. And then also um, thinking about the folks we purchased power from, so Wolverine Power Cooperative as well. Um, I actually had some relationship with them for my previous professional career as well with some of the projects they were working on across northern Michigan, so paying attention both on the generation and the distribution side. So speaking of your previous career and your current career, you currently own your own government affairs consulting firm, and you work with several clients locally, NMC, Munson, for example. Um, Can you tell us more about your professional background and how – um, that will inform your decision-making as a yeah, board member? Yeah, so uh, actually I think, think even going back to my educational experience uh, helps to inform my, uh, my position here as a board member. So uh, in college I, I have a degree in international relations, but really I also have a focus or specialization in environmental economics. And I think this has sort of helped to shape the way I view things, especially energy policy over the years. It's that intersection between where you can get the most economic um, uh, the, or the, the most environmental benefit at the lowest economic cost. And it's a, it's a cross of, of two lines. And so there's, there's always a way to do that. So that sort of started uh, informing my, my decision-making process. But then I also spent uh, almost 12 years working for U.S. Senator Carl Levin. So I was his regional representative here in northern Michigan, which meant that I handled all federal issues that the senator would work on if he lived and worked in northern Michigan which took me into a lot of communities in northern Michigan and working with a lot of different groups on a lot of different issues. But energy policy was one of those issues I worked on. So uh, a public policy perspective, a legislative and regulatory perspective, and also an ability to sort of dig in and understand how does regulation affect on the ground implementation of uh, generation or delivery. So um, it's sort of a macro uh, approach, I think, but it also uh, is based in a lot of hands-on sort of experience because I was working with folks in the communities across northern Michigan. 
How or why did you manage to stay with Senator Levin for 12 years? I've, I've been around a lot of politicians and, and, and participated in that process for a number of years. And it's pretty rare for them to have a regional representative that long. You know, I think part of it had to do with the person I worked for. So, um, you know, many people like Carl Levin. A lot of people didn't like Carl Levin. He, he ended up getting reelected a fair number of times, and he was a pragmatic thinker. And I think I learned a lot from the way he approached an issue was uh, wanting to find out what the solution might be from a pragmatic, data-driven sense, uh, not just taking a policy position just to strike off and, you know, take a position. Uh, and so I think that once I realized that this was a person that I could understand the way his thought process worked, I may not always agree with his policies, but I could understand how he got to those decisions, um, then it was something that I could uh, could see myself doing for a little while. And also, uh, it was the diversity of issues. I really enjoyed having uh, a day that, you know, a constituent called you and said, you know, I've got this problem with uh, whatever it might be, X, Y, Z. And uh, and you got, got off running and you took took care of that issue for that constituent, and then the next day might be something completely different. So it was the breadth of issues. It was also working for somebody that I could understand his thought process. It wasn't sort of coming out of left field all the time. Uh, and so it, it was a very fascinating job. Did you ever disagree on anything? Absolutely. There were a lot of things. <laughs> you know, when you're a politician, you have to take a lot of uh, positions. And uh, as a staff member, you have to represent those positions regardless of if you believe in them or not. So um, part of it, I think, helped was, was understanding how to craft arguments, how to, how to explain yourself to others. Again, taking a position or representing a position, either, even if it wasn't your own, um, I think it was a good skill to, to be able to understand how to do. And I think it's um, one of the – our industry is very heavily regulated, and a lot of times the policy decision – what makes sense as a talking point doesn't necessarily make sense on the ground as something you would implement as policy. So I think having someone like you come onto our board who can understand that complexity, because it's, it's overwhelming and, quite frankly, intimidating to most people to even try to, to wade into what, what does this policy mean or how do I talk to a politician about what I need for my energy company or whatever. Yeah, so I think it's, it's, like a, it's a two-way street. So uh, in my current capacity doing government relations consulting work, uh, what I'm doing is sort of the flip of what I was doing before. So before I was trying to understand how did policies affect people on the ground. Now I'm translating how those policies affect people on the ground and making the same argument essentially back to the politician about how do their policies affect the people on the ground. So uh, it is, it's, it's something that not everybody has the ability to do is to sort of break down uh, a policy and say, listen, this is what it means to you know, our workers, our employees, this is what it means to our customers, and then translating them back into a very easy way, digestible way. You know, politicians get all sorts of uh, feedback coming in all the time, but if you can get it to them in a clear, concise manner, uh, it, it can make a difference. Absolutely. And, and one of the things we have as an advantage here is we're not we're a not-for-profit electric utility, and we're not really driven by profit. So I do think our story is compelling when we can get it in front of the right people and explain that. We're just trying to do what's in the best interest of an average homeowner living just down the street here in Grand or a small business owner, you know, over in Lake Ann. And we, we, don't, ha we don't have any profit motive. So I, I do think our story can be compelling. Very much so. So um, you've attended your first board meeting. You've had some time to familiarize yourself with the co-op. Was there anything that surprised you, or what are your first impressions of the organization? Yeah, I don't know if it was a surprise, because maybe I expected this to some degree, but I was, uh, I was impressed by the level of involvement at all levels of, of the co-op in terms of how decisions are made. So input coming from the folks literally splicing to, together the lines, uh, coming into the boardroom to help to make a decision about when you might go and replace those lines. I mean, it, it makes sense, I think, to a lot of folks if you 
actually think about it. But um, again, if you're just paying your electric bill every month, you might not really think about the actual work it takes to, to run a co-op. So uh, I was impressed by the uh, multi-layer sort of breaking down barriers that I saw taking place right in the boardroom. How, how did the detail of the first meeting compare to other boards you're on? Because you're on the DDA and mm-hmm. some other stuff. I, I really like the tangible sense of the issues you are working with. So, you know, I, I do work so much in the policy world about the intangible, about things that could affect something in 10 years from now or over the next 20 years, the impact would be this. But to, again, think about something that we turn a switch, we expect something to happen, but all the work that goes in behind the scenes to make that thing happen, uh, the fact that we're talking about types of materials that lines are made out of, I found fascinating. I think that uh, is uh, the biggest difference between the other boards that I serve on, where we talk a lot about policy, but we don't actually talk about physical assets. Well, and, and I have to be very careful here because I also serve on a board that's not like the Cherryland board. But I do think that it, it says something about us as an organization that we're not trying to put barriers between our board and what we do, right? And, and And I think it's really fulfilling for our staff to have the opportunity to tell the board about what they do. And I also think it helps you better understand it. Even if technically you don't oversee the day-to-day of the splicing, sure. the better you understand that, the better you can make the big picture decisions as well. And like I said, it's really, I think, fulfilling for the staff to, to feel like they have that relationship with their board. Yeah, I, I find it very valuable. Um, you know, some of the drone footage we saw about how, you know, what, what does it look like down a line corridor and what, are, what tree overhangs look like? I mean, these are things we take for granted. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when something happens and there's an outage and the, the tree falls on the line, then we say, well, gee, why isn't it power back mm-hmm. up? quickly. So um, I think it really helps when you make decisions based in reality like that. And you'll never take it for granted again. A hazard of what you have now decided to do is now when you drive around, anywhere you go, you'll notice power lines all the time. I was on vacation in Europe last year and I'm like, wow, I can't believe how they built out their system. And my husband's like, why are we not just having a vacation? <laughs> but it, you just... I've noticed myself checking out the uh, what are the breaker, not the fuses, but the, the things that disconnect from the yep. lines to yep. cut power off. Anyways. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. It is really mm-hmm. fascinating. So um, what do you what do you think are some opportunities we have here at Cherryland and some some things we some opportunities to grow get better etc. I think there are a lot of opportunities and, and again part of that is why it's really exciting to serve on the board is to, to think about how do we implement those possibilities or how do we follow through on those so uh, I think we have a huge uh, opportunity in the fact that we are a member-owned cooperative uh, you know so increasingly so in in this society in this world technology and everything else uh, the member is the power they really do they have uh, so much power more than they might even realize in terms of how the decisions they make in their their homes affect the rest of the system and so i think we have a real opportunity more so than other utilities that uh, have to rely on, on investors or, or other ownership but to rely on the people that are actually making the decisions with their with their dollars uh, the things they buy and do in their own homes uh, we have a huge opportunity to to be the leader uh, in in energy uh, in the future so um, i certainly see just <laughs> sort of the structure the makeup of the cooperative system as being a huge uh, advantage mm-hmm. And, and I think in the long run, you talk, you kind of hinted at this, but certainly member behavior offers an opportunity to us, whether that's a member choosing not to use electricity at a peak time, there are ways you can send price signals for that, whether it's a, a member simply saying, I, you know, whatever, I want to control my bill by 
installing an energy efficient technology right. or, or whatever. And so, of course, it, it's an opportunity. It's also a challenge as well. Mm-hmm. So as a cooperative, we have to manage for those uncertainties of how our members are going to behave and mm-hmm. what, what their demands are going to be. And if all of our members go on and buy electric vehicles and now want to charge them in the garages, uh, then we have to make some plans for that. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's opportunity and challenges. But uh, again, I think being this close to the end user uh, is something that uh, many industries can't really point to and say, here, we're, we're actually <laughs> the last line before you get to the home. Um, so that's, that's impressive. When you were with uh, Senator Levin, you worked with investor-owned utility, electric utilities, municipal electric utilities, cooperative utilities. What was the difference? What you know, I, th- I think I saw the biggest difference, and this is no offense to all my uh, investor-owned utility <laughs> friends out there, but uh, I think the biggest uh, difference I saw was the way they approached issues. Uh, I think there was a natural tendency amongst the larger entities to approach an issue from a, uh, w- a position of power that we're, we're going to walk into the room and, and uh, uh, expect a change that will will, will benefit us. Um, what I've seen uh, with the cooperatives I work with, including Wolverine, that they approach the situation really from the basis of we're coming at, we're coming to it from a community perspective. So, how best can as a community we come up with a solution to this problem? So, I think it's just a, the way they approach the solving of, of an issue. Were the municipals active in politics? Uh, you know, not, really not so much. Uh, I found the municipals uh, to not sort of be on the on the leading edge of that, a little bit more reactionary. Uh, and so then you had the the big investor owns, uh, again, sort of coming in with a position of, we think we know what's best, and then the cooperatives coming in with saying, let's find a solution to this, no matter what, you know, what, what we came into thinking mm-hmm. the solution might be. I feel like I have to have, have, make a shameless plug to any members who are listening. Um, one, one of the challenges we have is that the investor-owned utilities have a, s- a significant amount of money to spend in politics, and we don't. I agree with you that the biggest power we have is the fact that we are motivated by something different, but that has to happen in partnership with our members and their willingness to also advocate for the co-op when they interact uh, Absolutely, with and I put a shameless plug in there, too, is that uh, the, the best lobbyist, uh, and I am a registered lobbyist in the state of Michigan, but the best lobbyist is yourself. You are your best lobbyist for your own interests and the interests of the, the entities you are a part of. And mm-hmm. so I certainly would encourage any member listening to this podcast to think about the way they can better engage uh, with policy issues uh, at the state and federal level, because uh, you might run into Senator Schmidt in the grocery store. You may see uh, Senator Stafford having on the Cherry Festival Parade or, or some other venue. And those are all opportunities where you can just make a plug and say, listen, I'm a member of Cherry Line Electric Cooperative. Did you know that uh, one of our key issues was uh, the renewal of uh, geothermal heat pump uh, tax credits or, or things like that? And that's that's all you need to say. And, and they, they hear that. Uh, it's not Tony saying it, although I know Tony says it also. And it's not you saying it, but Rachel, I know you say it also. And it's not a board member, but it's a, it's a member of a cooperative saying, this is an issue, this is this affects me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that resonates with, with elected officials. So yes, please be your own best advocate, be Cherryland's best advocate uh, out in the community. And that's actually one of the reasons we originally started the podcast was because we wanted to give mm-hmm. members who were interested in Avenue to learn kind of, you know, 30 minutes at a time, learn about something going on in our industry, something going on with our cooperative specifically and, and help educate them so they do feel comfortable when they run into mm-hmm. Senator Schmidt in the grocery store. Yeah. Because yeah. a, a lot of people do read the magazine, but a lot of them go to the recipes and, and skip the great general manager's column. <laughs> so we're trying to use the podcast to educate those people who may be driving. And yeah, and, and you know, it's it's complicated stuff too. It's it's mm-hmm. not always easy to understand what what the key points might be. 
Um, at the same time, I don't think that should scare people off. I, I've always tried to express to my clients that uh, something is better than nothings. And if you don't have a seat at the table, then you're on the menu. Uh, and so you have to be willing to uh, make a comment, make a statement. You don't have to know all the facts and figures. You know, elected officials are always happy to have you follow back up with them if you don't have an answer to their question. So don't let that uh, be the barrier to you not getting involved uh, because you don't have to have all the answers. You just have to sort of start the conversation. Mm -hmm. and, and like you said, it's more about your personal story, right? How this uh, impacts absolutely. me personally. And right. I, don't need a, I don't need to have a, the right stat to say that. I need to be sincere with your how it impacts Your story me. means more than to say, you know, a quarter of our mm -hmm. customers are this way or that way. It's, right. Yeah. So spe speaking of our community and our members and advocating for their needs, what do you think, and I'll open this up to both of you, like what do you think our community wants when it comes to energy? And what's your feel on the pulse of, of our membership? They want the lights on yeah. when they flip the switch, and they want an affordable price. and They don't want that price going up. I, I think those are the two biggest. Um, I also think people want to feel good about it. I, I don't think people want to make decisions that they, you know, they want. They don't want to see the decisions that they make as being harmful to others. I think people want to do good in life, and so uh, they want affordable, they want reliable, and they want to feel good about the choices they're making. And I think we're delivering on that. Uh, in tenfold. Um, we think about our portfolio standard of renewables being over 18%, which is over what the state would require. Uh, so I think people should feel good about reliable, affordable, and feel good. Mm -hmm. And we're, we have some really exciting news coming out just now, too, that we, by the end of this year, will be about 56% carbon-free in our portfolio with some new contracts we've signed. So, I mean, that's, yeah, and that's really for valuable. That starts January 1 of 2018 and will run for 10 years at, at a minimum. So yeah. for the next decade, we, we will be 57% carbon-free or better as we improve in the years mm -hmm. to come. So, And that hints at something you kind of started by talking about, Gabe, which is I, I, we have so much good news to tell. Right. And, I, and I think, and, I, and, I, and obviously I'm biased, but I'm not saying this because of my bias. We really are leading the way in Michigan in terms of kind of decarbonizing our portfolio, having the right balance. Keep, I mean, we do still have coal and we do still need natural gas and we're not, we're not shying away from that. We're saying we're gonna modernize our portfolio in a way that allows us to be reliable and affordable and help our members feel good mm -hmm. about the fact that they get electricity from us as opposed to some other alternative. Yeah, and I think that that leadership role is something we can just continue to, to do more of. Uh, I think that there certainly are, are opportunities where uh, Cherryland can sort of convene those conversations and to help others make right decisions uh, and to really play a part in the energy conversation in, in northern lower Michigan. So I think it's a, a great opportunity for us to be that leadership role as well. We've kind of been talking about this already, but I, I do think it's interesting to think about what our reputation is in the community and, and kind of and much of that is a reputation Tony has built since, since he came. How long has it been now, Tony? It's been a long time. It's been 14 years. So, so a, 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 14 and a half almost. 15-year investment <laughs> in Cherryland's reputation. But I, I do think we're, we're seen as being very vocal and transparent about energy issues. I think we are seen as leading the way in some of these things that our mm -hmm. members have said they value. Um, you know, we first community solar project in right. Michigan and we that was that was us we made that happen yeah yeah we, we've tried some people would call us aggressive and a little bit over the top with our communications and getting our opinions and our positions out there but 
Um, I still think it's the proper thing to do. Well, I think everybody knows where Cherryland stands, and uh, that's that has not hurt us. I think part of the, that challenge is is the the same challenge that all cooperatives face. So we look nationwide and we think about the cooperatives. You know, their lines covering seventy five percent of the nation's territory, but only about twelve percent of the population is served by cooperatives. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, things like that in northern Michigan, we have a large geographic area, but in terms of a population, our constituency, our membership is relatively small compared to everybody else. So uh, it takes that extra effort, and that's why you have to be a little extra aggressive and a little extra loud and a little extra proud about the things you're doing because. Because nobody else is going to do it for you, and uh, we're not approaching it or coming to it from a member member power position of we have the biggest constituency in the room. So I think that's, that's right. What we have to do. Yeah, that is a great point. We are smaller, so we have to be louder. Yep, that's right. We have to throw the rock from a position of strength. Yeah. And I think you know part of that being loud is also uh, being smart, uh, loud. So Absolutely. not to be loud just to be loud, but to right. be loud because we have something good to say or we have a new point to add to the conversation. Mm-hmm. And I think we've done that over the years as well. Well, and I think another thing we've really focused on in the last couple of years is making more opportunities for our members to interact directly with us on a lot of these issues. So not only are we putting our opinion out there, but we're providing a forum for them to to ask questions and give us their opinion, whether it's through our blog, through Facebook Live with Tony through mm-hmm. even, you know, emailing us, coming in, coming to our member meetings. So I, th- I think we're, we've worked really hard to kind of create a, um, a give and take opportunity there for our members to interact with us as well. Well, and as a board member, I appreciate that also. And, and maybe it's from my past experience having a lot of constituent service uh, experience with Senator Levin. But uh, I, I look forward to engaging with the membership in Grand Traverse and Kalkaska counties about the issues that they're worried about or, or interested in and being a liaison, being a link. Uh, being a, a face to the cooperative out in the community. Uh, I've already had some engagements with constituents, if you will, with members, and I think I'll look forward to doing more of that because that is the way that you can be involved, uh, one of many ways to be involved, but uh, certainly a very approachable way. You can email me, and I'll sit down with you, have coffee, and chat about your issues. So what are the early issues that they're bringing to you? So I think some of the issues that I've heard, not so much from Grand Traverse, Kalkaska, but more from the Leelong County areas, has been about uh, ways to do a better, uh, even a better job. And sometimes it's always complaining about what you don't have or you haven't done enough, but about solar and renewable energy. And Mm -hmm. so I think, again, from the feel-good perspective, people want to have solutions that they can feel good about. And so, uh, of course, people are going to be very overly concerned that you're never doing enough. And uh, I think we have to make sure they understand what we are doing and maybe they don't know all that we are doing either so it's a conversation and so some those are some of the initial issues that have already come up yeah we've been conditioned over the years that no matter what we do it's not good enough so we just we're going to roll out the 50 percent 57 percent carbon free and somebody's going to say well that's not enough and it's going to be okay and we'll keep working at it but there's going to be a majority of the people who's going to support that and would be positive about it. So, And in the end, that's how you craft good policies. You, yeah. you have something that is uh, defensible because it is the right policy to take, and not everybody's going to be happy with it, but you know that you're doing the right thing, and you have to make a decision and move forward. So. Yeah, that's the key to sleeping at night, realizing yep. that not everybody will be happy. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just want to say I'm, I'm really glad to hear you say that you understand that one of the roles of a board member is to kind of be out in the community and getting feedback back from members. You know, I think I think almost anyone can be trained to understand what we do. Mm-hmm. But what I believe makes a good me- board member is someone who is heavily active in our community every day, right? Because that's how you're going to start to know what matters to the people who you represent. Yeah, absolutely. You, can't, you cannot be a good board member if 
if your job keeps you out of our region all the time Correct. or if you sit in a you know dark box well, all day and, part and, of it, we, and we do have a good group of board members mm -hmm. all, we have seven board members who are all active in the community in different areas and, and that's a key too they're all they're not at the same place all the time and, and different walks of life as well. From, Very different you know, walks of life. Yeah. So that's that's helpful. And um, I, I saw it as a, a good opportunity to serve on a board that I had a commitment to the region in, in, in which it was to be serving, uh, if that makes sense. So uh, knowing that I wanted to raise my family here and, and stay here for a long time meant investing in a board in a community cooperative that was going to work, work with me for as long as I live in this region, so which was going to be a long time. So that it was, it was nice to think about uh, starting down a path that was going to lead to a long-term relationship that would really ultimately benefit all of us. And I think that's an awesome way for us to transition into co-op fun facts to, to end our podcast today. So Tony, you want to kick us off with a fun fact? Sure. From the U.S. Department of Energy, they recently uh, put out an estimate that U.S. wind capacity could potentially reach 10% of total U.S. power supply by 2020 and maybe 30% by 2030. That's awesome. I actually have two fun facts. Oh, One is Oh, you can never come back then, Gabe, if you're going to disobey the rules. <laughs> just kidding. I'll start with the, and it's not so much a fact, but just sort of a, a, a note that uh, interesting Bloomberg article uh, reported on the impact of the upcoming solar eclipse on solar arrays around the nation. So you think about the path of that solar eclipse that's going to take from the northwest to the southeast, uh, going across the heartland of our solar industry, which across the central portion of the United States. And even for those six to 12 minutes that it's going to be dark, it's going to have a significant impact on the amount of power output from those solar arrays. So just sort of an interesting fun fact there. Uh, and then the other is just a personal uh, story, if you will. Uh, so I grew up on a 40-acre farm outside of Lansing, so I'm very familiar and appreciate the rural lifestyle. I grew up in an old 100-plus-year-old farmhouse. But the fun fact is that I grew up in a house that had no central heat. The only heat we had was a wood stove, and so if you didn't have a fire in the wood stove, if you didn't bring in wood from the outdoors in the wintertime, you were going cold. And uh, so there's my fun fact for you. Biomass. Biomass. the pioneer over That's here. Right. I like yep. it. Yep. Well, I'm going to go a totally different direction with this. This week is Fair Week, Northwest Michigan Fair, and we have been buying a hog or two at the fair for several years and donating them to local food pantries. I don't, ha I don't know how long we've been doing it, but I have records going back to 2000. And since that time, we have donated 6,000 pounds of pork to local food pantries, which I think is a really awesome community impact. And it's really fun because we get to purchase those hogs from local 4-H students. Most of them use that money to go to school. And so it's just a, a really great kind of um, giving back to our community, both through the food pantries and through the support of 4-H. And we hope to see all of you at the fair this week. Going to the fair, going to the fair, going to the Northwest Michigan <laughs> Fair. There you go. Um, so, uh, Gabe, thanks for coming over and meeting with us and, and coming on the podcast. Me. We're excited to have you on the board. And, um, again, to all of our listeners, if you have any ideas for future podcast topics or if you have any questions, don't hesitate to get in touch with us. And who knows, maybe you'll be our next guest. Thanks, guys. Very Thank good. Thank you.